another Sunday afternoon sitting on my own in my studio talking to myself about welding. Just what is going on? Industry news, machine reviews, interviews, and a lot more right here on the Weld Like Bazaar podcast. Welcome along then to episode 003 of the Weld Like Bazaar podcast. And there's quite a few things to say this week. Firstly, I want to thank everybody who's listened to the last show with myself and Callum from EWM and also the show before that, which was just a solo one, a little bit of an introduction about where we envisage going on the uh, on the podcast. So yeah, thank you very much. You'll be more than happy to know that 99% of people that are listening to the podcast do come from the UK and most of them, 98% of them, are from the welding industry sector. That'll be rail, construction, energy, uh, nuclear, defence. But everybody is coming from all those industries, but from a welding background. So yeah, we're really getting to the right kind of people that we want to be speaking to, which is great. Which brings me to the next point on all the emails that we've had this week and all the text messages. And that brings me to the next point of just thanking you for reaching out to me in person and taking your time to contact me this last week. I've had people contact me from all over actually the UK. Loads and loads of people getting in contact to talk to me about lots and lots of stuff, but also lots of people thanking me for the podcast and giving the welding industry, hopefully, uh, some much needed positivity. Because in the past, and we need to be honest about this, don't we? It's not been the most positive industry. It's been a little bit negative and there's been a lot of shoulder barging and, and quite a lot of fist pumping at times. So hopefully the positivity from the World Light Bazaar podcast is gonna is just going to ease its way out there into the welding industry and will change things slightly, one by one, putting smiles on people's faces as they listen to me talk to uh, all my mates about welding, which is great. So there's quite a lot of news in in the news in general this week, but it's kind of really filtering through now to the welding industry. And this this makes sense because I sold, I think it was either seven or eight of the really nice Techman welding helmets uh, just before Christmas. And I sold them with the helmet bags. Now, I'm still waiting for the helmet bags because they are stuck on a ship, on a container ship, on the way to the UK. Now, Normally, what would happen is these container ships, from what I can gather, would come through the uh, Suez uh, Canal, and now they're having to go around the bottom of Africa. So the journey is over twice as long, which means lead times now are twice as long, and people are behind in the order process. So stuff that was an order, you know, before Christmas is already in that backlog because People are saying, right, we're not going to go through the Red Sea and through the Suez Canal due to everything that's going on in the Red Sea at the moment. It's not, it's not safe for us to do so. But that's going to put an increased cost on shipping costs. And ultimately, nobody can do anything about it because these ships were already set for sale and then these decisions would have been made as this um, kind of situation develops in the Red Sea. So what you're going to find is container ships coming into the UK and it's probably going to be over twice as much on the shipping charges and that needs to be dispersed across the stock. Now, unfortunately, 
you know, you've probably been pricing jobs and you've probably been pricing wire on prices based on the price that you were given at the time of order. And and now in some situations, you're really going to have to check those prices. Plus, there's a shortage of one mil wire in the UK at the moment. I think a little bit of that is to do with the fact that nobody really orders in December. Everybody tries to run the stocks down. And I, I did this myself, but on things like wire and consumables, what I tended to do this year is get those orders in right at the very beginning of December, giving me the ability to, if I did have a steady December, get everything shipshape ready for January. So I put myself in a really good situation. But unfortunately, there is and there is going to be price rises probably from people that you might buy your wire from at the moment. And there's also going to be a shortage. Now, what I hope doesn't happen is the situation we had before. Do you remember when there was a blockage in the Suez Canal? I think somebody broke down or something happened. What happened in that situation is there was a massive shortage of steel into the UK. And this is because pretty much everything is imported. And, you know, that's a different story to have with somebody at a different time. But because everything's imported and it all comes via one major shipping route, really, that blockage caused a huge backlog in goods getting to the UK. And then I was hearing reports from clients, customers, who were actually in the middle of visually seeing stock coming into the port and then people outbidding and fighting over stuff on containers and people getting it at the highest price in the docks. And uh, I just hope that we don't get into that situation again because what happened before was mild steel prices became absolutely unprecedentedly high and it was, it was becoming unaffordable to manufacture stuff in the UK because of the price of the goods. Now, the price of the goods isn't going up, but what seems to be happening at the moment is the shortage will push up the prices as well as the shipping costs. So I think everybody needs to be really careful that ultimately, ultimately, prices are going to be going up on your welding consumables. So uh, that's, that's a little bit of a bad news. Uh, that's coming into the uh, welding industry in January. But let's stay positive for a minute. Uh, The positivity that I want to put forward is I want to thank everybody that got in touch this week. Now, if you do want to get in touch about the podcast or coming onto the podcast, potentially, you can either do that one one of many ways. You can contact me via my personal details, which you will have probably. If you don't have them, now what I'm asking you to do is contact studio at weldlikebazza.co.uk. That's studio at weldlikebazza.co.uk. Ultimately, if it's about the podcast, if it's about MS Welding and the fact that MS Welding sponsors the Weld Like Bazza podcast, then head on over to the MS Welding website and click the email link and it's sales at msweldingcouk So they're the two places where you can get in touch with me if you do not have my personal details. Also, what I'm going to do is talk about features in the show, which we're really going to push forward into January. One of them is going to be called The Payback, where I give 30 seconds of my time and a free advert, paying it back to somebody who's really gone above and beyond for me that particular week or that particular month, or somebody who's just impressed me enough for me to say, you know what, I want to tell the rest of the world 
on the podcast about it. And what you'll find actually is the podcast is doing super well. As I just said earlier, 99% of the people listening are from some kind of major sector, construction, defence, energy, power, nuclear. You know, there's so many people listening and logging in and we're getting all these stats via the fact that I'm posting things on LinkedIn, but also we get all the stats back from Apple and Spotify. Another thing I want to point out is that you do not need Spotify to listen to the show. It's completely free. I'm not monetizing. I am not going to start using their uh, advertising regime. It's completely free. I want you to be able to press play and listen to the show. Okay. And again, these solo podcasts are going to be about 30 minutes long where you can listen to me on your way into work in the morning, rambling on about my weekly ramblings. So it's Sunday at the moment as I'm recording and I left work again Saturday night. Last night, I think it was about 9.30. Dropped Oliver off at his mum's, went straight into work and just got stuck on. And it gives me a really good opportunity on a Saturday to work late on these, uh, on these couple of Saturdays a month, especially on projects where I don't want to get broken off from. Now, ultimately, I've had a really big uptake in reconditioned machines in, in December and January. I've sold quite a lot and I've got quite a lot going through the workshops at the moment. So if you're not in the market or you don't have the funds to buy a new piece of equipment and you're wanting something reconditioned, it's also something we can do. One of the customers that contacted me this week was a customer that saw a really old video that were posted over nine or 10 years ago on YouTube of me reconditioning an ESAB LEH. 500. Really old machine, flagship machine, bomb-proof, brilliant, full of power, and we used to recondition those 10 at a time. And what we tend to do with the recondition equipment is we only recondition machines that we potentially know a history of and that we know where they've come from. We also buy machines that we know we can maintain for a set amount of time. So you're not just buying a second-hand machine, you're buying a fully factory reconditioned welding machine. So what we tend to do is strip it down to absolute basics. Circuit boards now come out, all the connectors come off, brand new interconnection cables are made, soldered, new ends put on, new cables, new hoses, new bagging. All the panels are then taken off the machines, tapped straight, sanded up, and then they're then sent to a specialist company that strip all the pain off the panels. Then when they're picked up, what we tend to do is go through them again, make sure there's no bashed edges, make sure none of the panels are being banged or, or knocked about, make sure everything's nice and straight. And then we give them a bit of a sand up, really, really fine sanding up, and we send them to the powder coaters. We tend to have them done in our own colours. Um, in some situations, we do put them back to original colours, but we tend to do it in the red and black, which is the MS welding colours. And it's been my dad's MS welding colours for absolutely ever. Red initially was the main colour and then it kind of, you know, changed to red and black. So they're, they're the main colours. Once everything's then powder coated, it probably takes me about a full day to put a machine back together because we'll take the wire feeders down to component parts so we can strip everything out of there and have absolutely everything powder coated. Then we build it all back up. While the circuit boards are out of the machines, we go through them methodically making sure there's no dry joints, no broken connectors, and we put them on soak and saturation test in the workshop. 
again, just trying to be one step ahead of ourselves. Then when we rebuild the machines and we put everything back together, what we then do is load test it for anywhere between 24 and 48 hours. So that could be a week. If you're working a 12 hour day, you know, that's two days. If, if you're going to do it for 48 hours, uh, you know, that, that's four days of a week that we saturate test that machine. Putting it on load, I built a timer so we can have it on and off load in between duty cycles and things like that. And then once I'm happy with it, it gets calibrated. It gets tested to uh, IEC 60974-4 and then it gets delivered to the customer. The customer gets some dedicated time with myself and we go through it. If it's a complicated machine, the customer can have anything up to a day's training with it. But these machines at the moment that we tend to be putting through are basic, very, very basic, but well-built inverter welding machines. So that's just one of the many things that we do at MS Welding. If you know about how the business started 38 years ago, predominantly it was just service and repair. But as the business has got bigger, we do service and repair and calibration of any kind of welding machine within reason. And when I say within reason, I do get bombarded with those conversations on a weekly basis. I've just bought a machine off eBay and it don't work, but Guy said it works and it's just this, that and other. And I've watched this YouTube video and ultimately this is what it is. Those kind of machines, I'm sorry, but we don't get involved with. Normally because, number one, somebody's had a really good dick about with it. Number two, I'm never, ever, ever going to be able to do that machine justice and it probably will come and bite me back in the ass. So we just don't get involved whatsoever. Then when I turn around to the client, who's probably paid 200 quid for that machine off eBay, and I say, look, this is my hourly rate, and I'm going to have to charge you a couple of hours before I even give you, you know, an answer of exactly what it needs. What, you're not going to look at it for free? No, we're not going to look at it for free. So that's the kind of thing that we don't get involved with. The other thing that we don't get involved with is either stolen machines or problematic machines. A machine that might have been an absolute problem. It's had loads and loads and loads of parts ripped off it. Loads and loads and loads of people have looked at it. And at that point, I just go, do you know what? It's come to me last of all. It's not worth my time to get involved with this. So the eBay stuff, we don't really get involved with. The stuff that's problematic and already been about the houses, we don't get involved with. And definitely, you know, stolen stuff. If somebody's bought something off somebody for 50 quid cash and it should be a 15 grand machine, then, you know, don't, don't be bringing it to me because we won't be looking at that. Regarding plasma cutters, I don't often see plasma cutters coming through the workshops and that's because predominantly a plasma cutter will either work or it won't. Now, if it's a hypertherm, it'll work and work and work and the client will probably just keep it. The only time I really see hypertherm stuff coming up for sale is if a company's gone bust or closed down or somebody's closed a business down. That's the only really time because people buy them, invest in them, use them until they want to upgrade and probably buy a new one. But hypertherm stuff far outlives anything else that I've ever seen in terms of plasma. You know, I'm still looking at generation three stuff coming through the workshops now. And I just think, and it's, it still looks really good. It still works. In some cases, we're giving it a retrofit on its torch. And for the usage and the environment that it's in, that machine will be great until it absolutely does give up the ghost and we need to sell them something new. So the hypertherm stuff, we never, ever, ever really see coming through to be reconditioned, to be fair. 
And again, incredibly reliable stuff. So, you know, nothing to worry about. This is the Weld Like Bazaar Podcast. So, from these conversations today, you can gather that we do stock a massive range of welding consumables from welding filler wires to TIG filler wires to hypertherm spares and consumables. We have lots of hypertherm spares from the brand new sink cartridges in stock right through to older generation torch spares and consumables that we have in stock as well and everything in between, especially for your 45 and your 45 XP, maybe an 85 Duramax, definitely your new sink cartridges and then your older torches. We still have some consumables in stock for those as well. The Powermax 1000, the Powermax, you know, all that range of machine, still got those in stock as well. So it's always worth giving us a call if you don't live in the area and you want me to post it out to you because it's going to take you a little bit too long to get to me. Just let us know. Drop us an email. If it's welding related, drop the email to sales at mswelding.co.uk or give us a bell. You know, all the details are on the website and I'll have a check through what we've got. And in some cases, if I don't actually have it in stock, I'll be able to get it for you next day anyway. So absolutely no problem there. So it's time for me to do a little bit of a payback. And this is something that I really want to get into every single show. So if we can just change direction for 30 seconds, a new habit that I want to get into on this show is the payback. This week's payback is a shout out to Thacker's Commercial Powder Coaters. Thacker's is run by real people doing a great job and one of the reasons why my recondition machines and special build machines look so great. The quality is fantastic and you speak to people who care about you, the customer, but also the work they do. So you might know about Thackers or you might not, but this week's payback is a free shout out to them. Check them out at thackerscommercial.co.uk and tell them Baza sent you. There you go. The brand new first payback. And that's going to happen, hopefully, on every single show. Also, at the moment, there's quite a lot going on regarding the EWM stuff. I'm currently right in the middle of completely stripping out a uh, brand new Pico TIG 220. And I'm going to do a complete video on that one for YouTube. As I've said, we've not really done much on YouTube for a long time. Many reasons why uh, we just didn't have time to do it. And videos take an incredible amount of time to make and produce. You'd, you just wouldn't believe how long it takes to set up all the lighting, get all the different angles and the viewpoints that we need. And on top of that, I've been busy. So it's just been absolutely impossible to get that video done. But I'm going to do a video of me just getting it on load, loading it up to its duty cycle, seeing what you can get out of the machine on the 13 amp fuse before going up to the 16 amp one, using it as an MMA machine as well as a TIG machine. And ultimately, it's really good as the Pico 220 because... You used to have to go to the Tetrix if you wanted anything above 200 amps. So Pico TIG never went to the 220 amp machine. Tetrix is still that machine if you're wanting every single bell and whistle possible. And the new Tetrix XQ obviously has got the new panel configuration and you, and you can have the expert panel on that as well. Although I just normally sell that one with the Comfort 3.0. But the Pico, the Pico TIG, I think has really, really come up another level of of how I look at it and how I view it as a machine in the industry. So I cannot wait at all whatsoever to give you the lowdown on that. 
So that's going to come up in a few shows from now. And I just want now to talk a little bit about one of those stories that everybody seems to really enjoy hearing about my dad. So last night when I was at work, I was just finalising some checks on some circuit boards on these current machines that I'm reconditioning. And, you know, I was thinking about my dad's electronic capabilities. And it takes me back to being a really, really young kid. It takes me back, actually, to Rick Astley being in the charts with Never Gonna Give You Up. If you came to Dad's funeral, you will know that although we played some really, really amazing songs at Dad's funeral, when we left the crematorium, we left to Rick Astley, Never Gonna Give You Up. And there's a reason for that, which we're going to get to later in this story today. So. When dad was really, really kind of getting his craft nailed down on the electronics, he used to weekly, I think it was either weekly or fortnightly, buy a magazine about electronics and electronic building. And and we used to pick it up from a a newsagent called Maynard's in Morley. So we've always lived in the same small market town. Maynard's was this little paper shop kind of news agents on the precinct. It's not been there for years and years. And you used to go on and there was like sweets at the front and racks and racks of magazines and newspapers. That's pretty much all it was. I think there was one fridge with some drinks in. That was it. And we used to go there and get me dad's electronics magazine. And I think I used to pick up a drumming magazine at the same time. And one of the projects was uh, how to build a dedicated sound-to-light controller yourself from scratch so this obviously bugged away at me dad there was one friday night we was at me grandma's house and me dad was absolutely ripping me grandma's house to pieces he was in every cupboard every crevice every drawer and me grandma after about two hours went malcolm what are you looking for what do you want what, what are you searching for malcolm me grandma went malcolm what what are you after what are you looking for and me dad was looking for he said, I'm, I'm looking for a box. I'm looking for a box. I'm building a sound controller for my lights. So as well as being a pigeon man, uh, my dad, <laughs> my dad started building this light controller as his electronics project. And it was a three channel to start. And you'd sometimes come down from upstairs out of your bedroom and my dad would have the oscilloscope set up in the living room at home and he'd have it hooked up to the TV. And he'd still, my mum would be watching the TV, but he'd, he'd have it hooked up to the TV or my mum would be watching TV and my dad would have the oscilloscope hooked up to the hi-fi or something like that. In the living room, it was hilarious now looking back. I never thought anything about it at the time. It's just what my dad did. And I probably went back upstairs. But yeah, I just remember. And I've still got that oscilloscope. I'm going to put it in the office when we we redo the podcast studio. Uh, And it was an ex-military one. It was like solid built, cathode ray display. Just amazing. So anyway, I digress. My dad made these lights and it was a three channel set of lights to start with. And he made a little wooden box to put them in. And uh, he said, right, I need some bulbs. And he sent me mum out to get some bulbs for his lights that he built. And she could only get red. So it was a three channel light controller with uh, some disco lights that he made himself, which had three bulbs in, but they were all red. So that then changed to, he made a six channel controller. And it was a sequencer. It wasn't just a sound to light. It was a sequencer. So it could run in a sequence. So it'd flash the light bulbs in a sequence. And 
it was great because this manifested into one of my school projects, to be honest. And then what happened is he built like some lights and they went at the either side of the chimney breast. He had like a bank at one side and a bank at other and he had red, yellow and blue, red, amber and blue lights in like traffic lights. But they all used to do either sequencing or sound to light. And then he built a controller that did the sequencing and sound to light. So when there was no music playing, I think it had a really small microphone in his first ever box. Uh, If there was no music playing, what happened was it just went into a sequence and they just flashed through a sequence. And then the minute the music started playing, they all started dancing about bass, middle and treble to, uh, to the sound and light. And these lights were brilliant. I don't think any of my mates at school back then in uh, 87 and 88 had disco lights in the front room. But let's get back to Rick Astley. So we had these disco lights in the front room and my dad used to get them out for parties at Christmas and he used to get them out for discos and he used to get them out for birthday parties and all sorts. And my mum and dad in their early days used to have some brilliant house parties. There was a nightclub up the road and I'm talking literally out of the front door, four minute walk up the road and there was a nightclub there. And it was at the time when nightclubs, I think, I think this particular nightclub closed at one o'clock. It wasn't like an all-nighter. It closed at one o'clock. One of our really, really close friends of the family was a DJ there at the time. And it was just hilarious. Dad would get ready on a Saturday night. They'd go out and they'd end up in this nightclub with their friend and they'd come home. While my mum was getting a shower, getting ready to go out, my dad would have music on downstairs. He had a great pair of speakers and he had his disco lights in his front room. And we had, well, I'm going to take you right back to 1987, 1988. I think I was thinking about this last night. Anyway, mum used to go buy singles and she used to buy them from Morrison's and we had all sorts. We used to collect a little bit of music and dad also used to make mixtapes from stuff that he heard on the radio or songs that he had. Disco was a big thing in our house, but also pop music, good music. And I think my dad used to send me mum out and say, Go get some new music for party at weekend. And she come back, you know, Pet Shop Boys were in charts back then and stuff like that. Cuban League. Anyway, Rick Astley in the charts. It's on the radio Saturday night while my mum's getting ready to go out and my dad's waiting for my mum to get out of the shower. So my dad's dancing with me and my sister. We're kids in the family home. And we had, back in 87, that traditional fire with the three uh, porcelain pots and the gas coming in at the bottom. But this one had this really weird copper hammer-finished canopy on the top. Looking back now, if you saw it in somebody's front room, you'd put a cross above the front door and say, don't enter. Do you know what I mean? It, it was shocking. And anyway, so Dad's got his disco lights on, and he's got his music on. And on comes Rick Astley, never going to give you up. And he's spinning around, and he spins around on one foot. I think he's either dancing with me or my sister. And he kicks this bloody fire and it nearly flies off a mantelpiece and almost lands through front window, right? Before he went out on a Saturday night, it's hilarious. But that is the reason why Rick Astley plays such a part in our life as a family. All that, all back to then, dad making disco lights so he could be better at electronics, to be better at his job as an engineer for the welding industry and dancing to Rick Astley before we went out on a Saturday night. And that is why we played Rick Astley as the last song before my dad made his final trip uh, from the crematorium that day. So uh, 
yeah, that's a little bit of a good story, isn't it? it puts a bit of a positive swing on a on a on such a big sad thing that happened very recently. So anyway, the Wildlife Bazaar podcast. If you want to come on and you've got something very very special to talk about, or you want a laugh, or you want a bit a bit of a chat about how you get on in the welding industry, drop me an email to studio at worldlightbazaar.co.uk at studio at worldlightbazaar.co.uk If, however, you've got some welding or cutting machines that you need repairing, servicing or calibrating, drop me a line at accounts or sales, sales is probably best, sales at mswelding.co.uk. We'll pick it up and we'll get back to you. So again, thanks for joining me on a very, very short, personal, just one person studio chat this week on the podcast. Uh, lots and lots of good things coming up. Don't forget, there is a reason why I do believe everybody's struggling for that one mil wire at the moment. We've got loads in stock if you need some. Um, and other than that, I'll catch you on the next podcast. Thanks very much for checking us out. Don't forget, we're live on Spotify and Apple, uh, and we'll be looking at more platforms too. Thanks again. Speak to you soon. Take care. The Weldlight Batter Podcast is sponsored by MS Welding, the number one welding solution provider. MSWelding.co.uk